welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is about Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through verse 56. What happens if we look at today's portion as a living parable of Messiah and the remnant of Israel through time? What does the five loaves and two fish feeding the multitude, the disciples rowing against the wind, or Messiah getting into the boat during the fourth watch picture? What lessons can we learn from this living parable? Can you keep the Torah or even interpret it 100% correctly without the Holy Spirit or Messiah to guide you through your walk? Why does the remnant need to be organized in the right order? Has Yahweh given us the resources we need for the remnant of Israel to be restored? What do we still need from Messiah even when we have all the resources we need? Why do we need to be working with God instead of working for God? Is the return of the remnant of Israel something that we can bring to pass on our own? If not, does that mean that the remnant return is too impossible to believe? What is Messiah's part in the return of the remnant of Israel? And what part do we need to do until he does it? Why should we pray that Messiah gets in the boat really soon? Stay tuned through to the end of today's program for Eliyahu ben David's insight on these questions and more in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through verse 56. And now, here's today's scripture portion. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through verse 56. The emissaries gathered themselves together to Yeshua, and they told him all things, whatever they had done and whatever they had taught. He said to them, You come apart into a deserted place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. They went away into the boat, to a deserted place by themselves. They, that is the people, saw them going, and many recognized him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Yeshua came out, saw a great multitude, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was late in the day, 
his disciples came to him and said, This place is deserted, and it is late in the day. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They asked him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go see. When they knew, they said, Five and two fish. He commanded them that everyone should sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in ranks, by hundreds and by fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves, and he gave to his disciples to set before them, and he divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were filled. They took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and also of the fish. Those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and to go ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself sent the multitude away. After he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. When evening had come, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them distressed in rowing, for the wind was contrary to them, about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, and he would have passed by them, but they, when they saw him walking on the sea, supposed that it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But he immediately spoke with them and said to them, Cheer up, it is I. Don't be afraid. He got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were very amazed among themselves and marveled, for they hadn't understood about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they had come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran around that whole region and began to bring those who were sick on their mats to where they heard he was. Wherever he entered, into villages or into cities or into the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. And now, here's Eliyahu ben David with insight on how that portion can be seen as a living parable of Messiah and the remnant of Israel through time, even to our day.
I think tonight you're going to enjoy the program, and I'm looking forward to it. We're looking at Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 56 tonight. You know, as we go through the Gospels, we are going to cover some of the same events in the different Gospels. Now, if you have a hardened heart, you think, I already went through that, I don't want to do that again. If you have a heart that is available to the Holy Spirit, then you've got to realize that every time it's in the Scriptures, it's there for a reason. If it's in there more than once, it's there because we need to consider it more than once. And do you know that each time it's there, it's different? And each time you consider it, it's different. And when we cover this same event in Luke, it's going to be different. <laughs> Some points that we didn't consider the last time, and you know there's still more about this story. Well, now I want to share a few things about tonight's lesson. And what's going to happen with this is I'm coming at it from a completely different point of view than what was presented already. There's more than one way of looking at it. And there are some deeper teachings that we can look at here, and that is looking at these events in Mark 6, 30 through 56, as a living parable that even affects us here in the last days. So let's get into that now. At the beginning of this, this first section, I see as primarily having to do with Messiah's first coming. So let's take a look at that. The emissaries gathered themselves together to Yeshua, and they told him all things, whatever they had done and whatever they had taught. Think of this in this way of looking at things here as a parable, as the emissaries here standing for the remnant of Israel before Messiah's coming, up into his coming. In other words, his coming on the scene was a watershed event where essentially everyone that had come before him, they were now responsible to give an accounting of what they had done. And so that's what this is about. And it says, he said to them, you come apart into a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as to eat. They went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. So, in this parable, what this represents is now that Messiah was on the scene, the remnant were not left to fend for themselves anymore. You know, there was a period of time that's called the intertestamental period that goes from the last book of the so-called Old Testament to the book of Matthew, of several hundred years. And there was no prophet in all of those years. And 
Sometimes they call it the silent time or the quiet time. What was happening during those hundreds of years? It was really up to the remnant to carry on through that period of time. And then it seemed like all of a sudden, John the Immerser was out there with his message and announcing the Messiah. The Messiah was there. And so it was a total change in the situation that came about. And so it was a time when the Messiah was now rising up and taking on the burden for Israel. It goes on, they saw them going, and many recognized him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. So there were many that recognized Messiah on various levels, and they came to him. Some needed healing. Some were interested in the message and wanted to know more. Some were needing relief from demonic spirits, but whatever they needed, they came to him. Yeshua came out, saw a great multitude, and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This is the condition of Israel in the first century. It's not that they didn't have shepherds. There were religious leaders. There were too many religious leaders. But the problem is they weren't really shepherds. They didn't really have that compassion that Messiah had for the sheep. And they were not only left to fend for themselves, in many cases they were oppressed. Now, why weren't there remnant people who were stepping up at this time and taking on that role of being shepherds? Well, I'm thinking right now of the family of David. Historically, what happened with them is they were pushed aside by the priestly line. And this was hundreds of years earlier. And we know the story of the Maccabees. Well, after that, the Maccabees rose up. The Hasmonean Empire rose up and suppressed the house of David. And they were in no position to be able to provide shepherds during that time period. And the people were left like sheep without a shepherd. So when Messiah came on the scene, it represented a major change. And people saw in him the shepherd that they needed. And he saw that they needed that shepherd, that he could be for them. And he had compassion on them. And what is it they needed? They needed to be taught many things. They needed to understand what the truth was so that they could get headed in the right direction. They needed that kind of shepherding. And in being a shepherd to them, Messiah, at the same time, was training his disciples to be shepherds. He was modeling for them 
how to be shepherds. So he had actually selected people to work along with him. He had sent out the 12 to do what he had been doing. He was raising up shepherds for the people. It goes on, when it was late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, this place is deserted, and it is late in the day. Send them away that they may go into their surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So the disciples cared about the people, okay? But they didn't really think that there was anything they could do to help them. They didn't think that they could feed them. And of course, in a spiritual way, it means they didn't feel like they had the resources to be able to spiritually feed all of these lost sheep. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. So, Obviously, Messiah thought they did have what they needed, but they weren't recognizing it. And that's why he goes on and says to them that they should see what they have. So Messiah felt they already had what they needed to feed the multitude. They weren't recognizing it. They didn't see that they had it. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So they went and took another look at what they had. And they said, says when they knew, they said five and two fish. When they knew. I find this interesting that when he asked them, they didn't even know what they had. They were ready to send all the people away before they even knew what they had. I think that sometimes, frankly, the remnant, they're like that. Sometimes we undervalue what we have. We don't really think we have what we need to feed the multitude. Maybe we should take a look and see what we have. Well, they had five loaves, and the five loaves of bread represent the five books of the Torah. Torah was given as bread for Israel. The Torah is the foundation document for the nation of Israel, and it presents the way that we should live. In the Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses sets out all of these commandments of the Torah before Israel. And you can read this in Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 16. And in doing that, he says, I've set before you this day life. He's equating the Torah and keeping the commandments with life. And he says, walk in his ways to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances that you may live. The Torah is equated here with life. And you know, bread is equated with life, right? You need food to eat. 
eat in order to keep you alive. You need the spiritual food of the Torah to keep your spirit alive. So did the remnant have nothing to feed the sheep with? Did they not have the same thing Messiah had? The Torah. Wasn't Messiah teaching the people the Torah? And then they had two fishes. The two fish stand for the two houses of Israel. And in regards to this parable, what is involved in the two houses of Israel? Well, certainly the remnant. But together, the two houses of Israel make up all of Israel and everything that belongs to Israel. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks of all of this wealth, spiritual wealth that belongs to Israel as the common wealth of Israel. It's called that because if you're part of Israel, all of that belongs to you. And what is that? It says in Romans chapter 9, it lists some of the things that are part of the commonwealth of Israel. The people of Israel, they were made God's children. The Shekinah glory has been with them. The covenants are theirs. Likewise, the giving of the Torah, the temple service, and the promises, the patriarchs are theirs. And from them, as far as his physical descent is concerned, came the Messiah, who is over all. Praise be Adonai forever. Amen. Is that nothing with which to feed the multitude? Or is that everything with which to feed the multitude? So if you look at it from the point of view of this being a parable, when Messiah is expecting them while you feed them, what is he saying to them? Is he not saying, you already have everything you need to feed the lost sheep of Israel? You have the Torah. You have the whole commonwealth of Israel. And yet, you don't see what you have. I think... That's something for us to think about. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm nothing special. I can't really help those people. Are you kidding me? Look at what you have. You have the Torah. You have the whole word. You have the commonwealth of Israel. You have the covenants. You have the patriarchs. You have the prophecies of Scripture. You have Messiah himself, and you have all of this, all of what Messiah did. Yes, you can feed the multitude. We all together can feed the multitude. We can do it. But we do need Messiah to point out to us that we have what we need. He commanded them that everyone should sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. Now, this talk about ranks and hundreds and fifties, you'll find 
in the scriptures about Israel. When Israel came out of Egypt in the Exodus, it says they came out orderly in ranks. It tells us how Moses put into place shepherds over hundreds and over fifties. This is how Israel was organized. Isn't it interesting that the remnant of Israel must be organized in their ranks to be properly fed? And this ties in so very well about all the confusion in Messianic circles. It's because we have not yet achieved this very important picture of being organized in our ranks so that we can all be fed the same thing from Yeshua Messiah to bring us all onto the same page. That's what this is a shadow of. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves, and he gave to his disciples to set before them. And he divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were filled. Well, as we pointed out, the remnant had the Torah, had the commonwealth of Israel, and yet, they could not feed the multitude themselves, even though they had everything they needed. Messiah had to bless it first. He had to break it. And he had to give it back to the disciples. And then all could be filled. You see, this is such an important part of this lesson. This is where many of the Jews in Yeshua's day went wrong. Because they thought, we have the Torah, and if we just keep the commandments, then we're going to be fine. In principle, that's true, isn't it? But what really happened with them? They added many interpretations to the Torah, and they took certain things away from the Torah. And let me tell you something, on your own, if you try to keep the Torah, you yourself will make those same mistakes. You will reason out some things that are not true, and you will take away some things that are true. And every single one of us will do this if left to ourselves to do it. So even though the Torah has been given to us, we have all the commonwealth of Israel, we mess it up on our own. You know, I think about this as doing something for God. Did you ever feel like you want to do something for God? Please forget that. If you're going to accomplish something for God, 
you're going to have to do something with God. You can't do it yourself. You've got to do it with him. You've got to give it to him and let him give it back. Then it can be something. If it's just going to be you doing it for God, I'm telling you now, it's going to fail. I can tell you this so very surely, because for the first 30 years of my life, I didn't understand this lesson. And I started out good, but then I started getting this religious spirit. And I wanted to do something for God. I loved him so much, I wanted to do something for God. So I worked so hard to do everything that I thought that he wanted me to do. And you know what? I never felt like he really was pleased with that. And I kept working harder and harder and harder. And finally, I could see that that wasn't going to get me anywhere. And finally, when I learned that lesson, that I have to give it to him and do it with him, that's when things change for me. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up to heaven. He blessed and broke the loaves. He gave to his disciples to set before them. He divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were filled. In this, we also see Messiah as the ultimate bread of life, the living Torah who came to be broken for us, that we may be filled very simple. And you know, we're coming right up on Passover, and at Passover, we commemorate what Messiah did on his last Passover when we partake in the Lord's Supper. And we partake of the broken bread, and of the wine that symbolize his body broken for us and his blood given for us. He told us to do that continually because we must always remember that we need that covering. We need his body and blood. You know, I have seen people, too many people, become messianics and get carried away with minutia, thinking that is what was going to make them part of Israel. And at the same time, they have forgotten their Messiah. They have forgotten that they need his body and blood. They've forgotten that he was broken for them. And some of them even renounce Messiah so that they can go back to dead religion. Horrible, horrible trade-off because they end up with nothing.
They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and also of the fish. Those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And of course, as we can readily see, the 12 baskets full of broken pieces, these are the 12 tribes of Israel and correspond with the remnant of the 12 tribes of Israel. And these are left over. Okay, so the, this is what was not consumed in the first century. This is everything that we find today in the Gospels, in the rest of the New Covenant Scriptures, that was sent forward to us. Look at all of the truth, all of the tremendous life of Yeshua, of his disciples, of the early believers that was released through the coming of Messiah and sent forward to us all the way down to our generation. It truly is an amazing thing. We have the 5,000 men and the five loaves, and this too has to do with the remnant. And five, besides being the number of the Torah, is the number of grace. All of this abundance is from the grace of our Father through Yeshua Messiah. Well, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and to go ahead to the other side. This is what happened, okay? When the end of Messiah's ministry on the earth came, everything happened really fast, and he essentially sent the disciples ahead. Why? Well, he was going somewhere else. But he got them off to a good start. He gave them a commission, a work to do, instructions to be carried out. But then it says he went up to the mountain to pray, and this points to his going up the ultimate mountain, returning to heaven. Now, that was a big change. Because even though he gave us the Spirit, he personally wasn't here anymore. And you know, the disciples really felt that. They had that closeness with him that you can only have with a flesh and blood person. And so things changed for them. It was some hard going for them. They went forward with what he gave them to do, but it wasn't the same as when he was there. You know, as we're reading here through the book of Mark, this is crazy fast, isn't it? I mean, he's bouncing from here to there to there to there, hardly even sleeping. Multitudes of people everywhere he goes. What is slowing him down? Nothing, right? He's going a million miles an hour. People are coming at him from every direction. All of them getting healed, demons being cast out, people hearing the kingdom, the whole thing. There's just no obstacle standing in his way. And what a contrast. It says, when evening had come, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. So imagine now a couple generations go by. 
more generations go by. It's kind of like those disciples, you know? They did what he said. They went out and they got in the boat and they started across the sea. They tried to do what he said. Seeing them distressed in rowing, for the wind was contrary to them. Well, isn't that what happened? He wasn't with them anymore. When he wasn't with them anymore, they still had some momentum for a while through the first century, but things got really tough rowing in the second century. All the Gentiles rose up against them and started a rival organization that today we call the Christian church that was hugely bigger than that initial group and was like a wind holding them back. Not to mention Satan, the world, the Roman Empire, so many things, like a wind, a headwind, holding them back. So what happened with the remnant of Israel for hundreds of years? They started out in the first century, but they hardly even got a little way because the headwinds against them were so strong, holding them back. Well, it says about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. There are four watches in the night. He came to them in the fourth watch. That's the last watch, the morning watch between about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. That's the end. This is the final generation. When he comes to them, seeming like a ghost, walking across the water, walking to them there, worn out from rowing against the wind. I just wonder, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you've been rowing against the wind? The wind just won't let up, and you're just rowing and rowing and rowing. Some people give up from that. Some people just keep rowing the best they can. It says he would have passed by them. And, you know, one way of looking at that, what it's really saying, he would have passed by them. He was moving much faster than they were. In other words, when he saw at this point that the wind is hard against them, they're hardly even moving, he just moves right out there. So he's moving much faster than them when he comes. Now, it says, but they, when they saw him walking on the sea, supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. Now, we're looking at this as a picture. This coming of Messiah walking on the water, looking like a ghost, is not his return in glory at the very end of the age. What this really pictures is something else. His appearing to his own disciples like a ghost. In other words, by the Holy Ghost, by the Spirit, in a way that only they can see. 
And when he comes in order to help them move ahead in their mission, it's a bit scary at first because things start to happen that they're not used to, that they haven't had happen before. And they're seeing him in a new way. And he's beginning to make himself known to the remnant. And it's a little scary at first and even a little hard to believe sometimes some of the things that he does. I believe that we're fast coming to this place, that in fact we've already seen him moving, and he is moving. And there's many of the remnant that are experiencing this, but they're kind of in the same point where they don't know what to make of it yet, and for some of them it's a little scary. It goes on here, but he immediately spoke with them and said to them, cheer up, it is I. Don't be afraid. <laughs> I like cheer up, don't you? They've been rowing against the waves, rowing against the wind, maybe getting discouraged over time, and there he is. It's like a ghost talking to them. <laughs> they don't get it at first. He says, cheer up, it is I. Don't be afraid. He brings revelation, friends, of who he is and what he's doing to bring encouragement for the mission. He brings new revelation. Think about that. You know, a lot of believers have really had just the same old stuff for hundreds of years. And now here we are, and Messiah is revealing new things. And it's happening a lot. We're getting a lot of new things from him. He's showing that it's him. He is giving us encouragement. Then what happens? He got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were very amazed among themselves and marveled. With the winds of this world against us, progress must be hard won. We've found that to be true. As soon as he gets in the boat, all that changes, and everything will start moving remarkably fast. This is how the remnant will be gathered remarkably fast in the time that has been predetermined for this. This is yet ahead, a little while ahead. And it's going to be like Messiah just got in the boat. And when that happens, <laughs> the wind stops, okay? That, that hard wind that just immediately stops because Messiah's in the boat. And now we start moving as fast as he is moving. And everything is going to happen really fast when that happens. <laughs> and... As I put here, we must continue to row, but he breaks the wind so that we will very quickly then get to our destination. And, you know, what happened here is because of this hard wind, you know, these disciples, they had tried, right? They got in the boat, they started across the sea. But now here it is. 
between three and six in the morning, all right? They had been like rowing all night. They're just barely a little ways out from the shore. Messiah shows up, gets in the boat, and before you know it, they're on the other side. That's what we're talking about. That's what's going to happen when he gets in the boat. Pray that Messiah gets in the boat really quick. Because once that happens, I'm telling you, the gathering of the remnant's going to happen really fast. We're going to get into order really fast. And we're going home really fast. That's how it's going to be. Until then, we got to keep rowing. That's how it works. And this is going to happen so fast that the remnant will be amazed at what he does and how fast he does it. Because it's Messiah. It's Messiah. Then it says, for they hadn't understood about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You know, it's okay to marvel at the marvelous. And he truly is marvelous. But a hard heart of unbelief is not okay. It's human. It's normal. But it's never going to get us to the other side. Think about what we've got. We have the Torah. And for the first time in a long time, we're starting to understand it, aren't we? We have all the prophecies. And are they not being opened up to us to understand what Yahweh's doing in these days? And we've reclaimed our Israelite identity. And of course, we have the Messiah. He has come alongside to help us, as he's intended to do all along, as the scriptures tell us he would do, and even as this picture assures us he will do. So here he is, and he's urging us on to the regathering of the remnant and the second exodus. And yet some of the remnant, when they hear that, it freaks them out, like those disciples who were freaked out. Is it hard to believe? Well, I think it's hard to believe because it is a miracle that we can't accomplish ourselves. I think that's been proven, that if it just depends on us to regather the remnant and to return to the land in the second exodus, that's not going to happen. And so that looks so big it's really a scary idea to a lot of people and an impossible idea, and there's a lot of unbelief about it. But if he's already done everything that we have seen, if all of these prophecies have been fulfilled up to this point, then why should we not believe that he will do the rest with what they had seen? 
with the feeding of the multitude and so much more, why should they not believe that Messiah loved them enough to come to their rescue when he needed them? If we belong to him, why should we not believe that he has compassion upon us? That he sees that our people are like sheep without a shepherd and that we need him to come and get in the boat with us. Shouldn't we believe that? Shouldn't we trust him enough to believe in his love for us, his people? So that's why we need to keep rowing and trusting until he finishes what he has started and he gets into the boat. And we see this incredible change that's going to happen. Well, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. Gennesaret means a harp. And you know, a harp is identified with David, right? Could this be a reference to the remnant returning to David? I think it is. When they'd come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized them and ran around that whole region and began to bring those who were sick on their mats to where they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages or into cities or into the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. You know, these people are remarkable that it's talking about here, because when they saw him, they immediately recognized him. I think this is kind of telling us what is going to happen, that with this event, when he comes in this special way to complete the gathering of the remnant, the remnant are going to be like this. They're going to recognize him. And they're going to look to him for healing. Now, I'm thinking it is talking about physical healing and ailments, but really a much bigger picture, including even the spiritual picture, healing they need in their life, and healing of the whole nation. The remnant are spoken of in the Scripture as the afflicted. And I believe what you see here is a picture of the restoration of the remnant when he comes to them in the last days. I believe there's going to be a grand restoration of the remnant of Israel by Messiah as something that is especially for them when he comes. And why? To prepare them to complete their mission under his leadership their mission in the world. We have lots of verses that talk about what happens when he comes, and we have a list at our website. One I like here is in Micah 4, 6 through 8. It talks about him assembling the lame and the afflicted and gathering them together. 
and returning them to the land. Here's another one in Isaiah chapter 10, very similar. Speaks about the remnant again. And it talks about a destruction that is determined in the midst of the earth. So it's talking about the gathering of the remnant before that destruction happens. This involves an escape from the nations that he is going to bring about. In Jeremiah 23, it talks about raising up to David a righteous branch who is Messiah and his saving Israel. And here it talks about the second exodus. It says, They shall no more say, as Yahweh lives, who brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as Yahweh lives, who brought up and who led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all the countries where I had driven them, they shall dwell in their own land. I would ask you, when was that prophecy ever fulfilled? I know the answer. It never has been. This is a prophecy for the last days. This is a prophecy of things that are just ahead. The things that will happen when Messiah gets in our boat to help us complete our mission. So when we look at the story of Mark 6, 30 through 56, it has a wonderful message just reading it and what it's saying to us. But we can also see it as a parable of Messiah and the remnant through time all the way to these last days. And looking at it that way, I certainly feel very encouraged by it, and I'm sure that you do too. been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Some of the scripture verses referenced in today's program are Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 11 through verse 16, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, Romans chapter 9 verse 4 and verse 5, Exodus chapter 13 verse 18, Exodus chapter 18, verse 25, Micah chapter 4, verse 6 through verse 8, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20 through verse 23, and Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 7 through verse 8. Further teachings and study materials on the Zion mission, the remnant of Israel, the return of Messiah, the Last Days, the Torah, 
the remnant in prophecy, serving Messiah, the Holy Spirit, and Holy Order, the organization of the assembly of believers in their day, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and other kinds of ministers, and their function in the body of Messiah, along with many other related topics, can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom! The restoration of the remnant of Israel is one of the most undertaught, neglected, and unknown major events in Bible prophecy. A strange fact, since prophecies and references to this event can be found all throughout almost every major book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, Yahweh has raised up Zion ministry to teach His remnant nation of Israel everything they need to know about this often neglected truth in His perfect timing. To learn who the remnant of Israel is, what the Zion mission is, and why we teach the things we do, go to our website at zion.org and click on Remnant Vision in the menu bar. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G. I'm